This is Savio. I've been seeking answers to some of life's most perplexing questions my entire life. In 2014, I was diagnosed with stage three cancer. And ever since, I realized my calling existed outside of what I knew to be familiar. This podcast is your home for survivors like myself and those who are searching to find meaning to their why. In season two, the show includes a mix of coaching sessions followed immediately by interviews with those from all walks of life who have been successful in the business, marketing, coaching, and financial worlds. The intent is to show the human experience in its rawest form so that others may glean insight. Nothing is rehearsed or has been edited. As a board-certified wellness coach, my job is to ask the deep questions of those trying to make sense of their place in this fractured world. I believe life speaks to us in different ways. Many of us listen, but don't know how or where to begin. As someone who has crossed the bridge between life and death, I say simply, begin where you are now and get busy living. If you liked today's episode, I would appreciate if you could share it and subscribe. Be sure to tag me at The Human Resolve so I can reciprocate in kind. So without further ado, welcome to The Human Resolve Podcast. In Season 2, Episode 1, entitled The One on Killing Distractions, Brandon Walker can create a framework like nobody's business, but his lack of boundary with others keeps him in a loop. Hey, Brandon. Um, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Savio. How about yourself? Good. I'm doing well. So um, what would you like coaching on today? Whew, that's a good question. Um, I think one thing that has been something I've been struggling with is uh, being an entrepreneur. Like, Obviously, there's a lot of stuff going, a lot of moving parts. And so being as productive as possible without burning myself out. So self-discipline, refraining from distractions, recovery. I think those are some areas that I'm trying to pour a lot of extra focus and energy into. Okay, great. So what I'm hearing from you is that you have launched the business and you're trying to find ways to mitigate stress and try to find ways to optimize your your time and energies. Is that correct? Yeah, I would say yeah. that's accurate. Yeah. So what would be like an actual goal of yours in today's session? I would say if I can come away with a framework to, um, one of the things that I am responsible for is writing, creating content, lots of essays, and I have to make dedicated time for that. And it's something that I put on the back burner when I'm focusing on the business. So if we can come away with some sort of a strategy or framework for mitigating distractions, um, I think that would be a really helpful use of time. Okay, so you wanna sort of mitigate distractions uh, in your day-to-day, that's, that's correct? Yeah. Perfect, so when you think about your day and how it's comp, you know, how you sort of work through the day, do you wanna take me through it? Sure, so um, I try to be pretty uh, married to my schedule, so Every night before bed, I do what I call a power down routine. And basically what that is, is I'll outline, I'll do some journaling, you know, some gratitudes and some stuff that happened through the day just in reflection. Um, I'll outline three things that went well from the day, three things that I think could be improved from the day. And then I'll set my agenda for the next day. So I'll literally go into my calendar, block periods of time for the things that have to happen. And so when I start the day, I have, uh, I wake up at six, I work out at 6.30, um, and then I get ready for the day for an hour, you know, breakfast, shower, read a little bit, 
And then I have the rest of my day in terms of work and productivity blocked out. Um, and so what has, what has a tendency to happen though, is I'll have an hour blocked for, again, using writing as the example, something else will pop up and I let myself get distracted by this other thing, sort of break my boundary for writing and let that access it. So that's typically what the day-to-day looks like, pretty regimented, but I get pulled from it often. And when you get pulled from this, is it something that definitely requires your time and energy? In many cases, yes. Sometimes it is more hedonistic where like I'll just go hang out with my brother or friends or something and let myself be distracted for a period. And when you experience the distraction, what's the feelings in you? It's a duality of like, I I try to carry a philosophy of being present where I like be where my feet are. And so when I let myself get moved into hanging out with family or that's a bad example because I think that's quality time. But you know what I mean? When I let myself get distracted, I try to like keep myself in that spot. I'm like, okay, there's probably a reason why like either my body's telling me to slow down or I wanted to spend time with this person. So I have that. The duality to it is I feel anxious because I'm not doing what I said I was going to do. And does that anxiousness reside anywhere in your body? I think for me, it's often I try to do breathing exercises to accompany it. Like I wouldn't say like in the, you know, the energy centers, I wouldn't say I have necessarily a tightness in my chest, but it is a feeling that I'm not like breathing in as much as I could and, you know, using my belly breath and all that good stuff. So it does feel like it compartmentalizes in my solar plexus area. Would you like to sort of explore that a little further? Sure. Yeah. Take me. Okay. So if you could just relax in your seat and if you feel comfortable, you can soften your gaze or close your eyes. let's, Let's do it. Just want to take three deep breaths in and three deep breaths out. I want you to focus into that center area you said where you feel the tightness when you get distracted or feel guilty about it. Can you describe this feeling? Right now, I feel present. I feel calm. I don't feel a sense of anxiety at the moment. Um, like It feels like this is the conversation we should be having right now. Can you imagine a time when you felt that way and see if that lands? Yeah, I think, um, you know, there's, there's often times when you can, you can tell, like you can just feel that the actions that you're taking are in alignment with your values and in alignment with um, your goals. And I think, when those paths meet, that is often a feeling of calm and just sort of letting the flow take over and just act. And when you said you felt sometimes when you're in the moment of doing that distraction, can you describe this sort of feeling in in that center chest of yours? It's sort of a, uh, 
it's not a tightness or a shortness of breath. It's more of a prevention of me breathing as deeply as I could be. So, you know, when you're doing meditation or breath work and you're focusing on your belly and how your body and chest move as you're breathing, it's, I get away from that because I'm hyper fixated on the situation and not my internal body. And when that sort of happens, I mean, I'm just trying to figure out a way. Can you talk to this sort of feeling within you? Can you connect to it? What do you mean by that? Like when you feel this tightness or this this sort of feeling within when you're being distracted, is that is there any type of message there for you? I think it's there. There comes a decision, you know, when I start feeling that, which is either a I allow myself to succumb to the distraction or B, make a decision to hold my boundary and say, okay, never mind, this is not what I should be doing right now. And so those are the types of scripts that I try to run in my head to, you know, make it less ambiguous and emotions based, make it more of a logical decision. And what's the ratio between you, between those two extremes? In terms of, uh, I would say, When, when I get distracted, more often than not, I allow the distraction to happen. Um, so I would probably say 70, 30. Um, but yeah, and I'd like for that to decrease. I, I, because I'm so, so driven by my routine and productivity that I tell myself like, it's okay to be distracted because that's just being human. Um, and then other times I'm like, yeah, but you're trying to do cool shit. So when you're trying to do cool shit, like stay focused. <laughs> I see. Has there ever been a time when you've done cool shit and uh, it's backfired on you? Yeah, for sure. Um, Cause like doing cool shit is when you're stepping out of your comfort zone, you know, and like you're getting, it's messy, it's foreign, you've never done it before. Like that to me is what cool shit is. And so like, yeah, you take your bumps and bruises, um, definitely. But I think more often than not, the learning experience or the people that you meet or the serendipity that comes from being in that spot makes it worth it. And over the course of the year, give me some times when it's been worth it for you. So... I think a good example with COVID this year has been a little less cool shit than I usually do. But last year, um, I learned how to ride dirt bikes by going on a five day adventure in Mexico. So like literally the first time my butt touched a dirt bike was crossing the border to Mexico with a group of eight guys who are like really good riders. And I got, I crashed so much. Like it was so, so taxing, so challenging, way, way outside my comfort zone. And so I literally did get like hurt, like bruises and injuries, but the experience was amazing and I grew a lot from it. Wow. So was that a time when you, was a distraction or did you plan that? That That was planned. Yeah, that was planned hedonism. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So was there a time when you were distracted and you felt maybe a regret from doing that. Okay, cool. Fair enough. I see I see what you're saying. Um yeah, yeah, no, definitely. 
but a lot of the times when it's distractions, like it's for like 30 minutes or an hour or maybe a day, you know, depending on what's happening, it's often not cool shit when that happens. Like the cool shit's usually pretty preemptive. Um, so like, yeah, times where I felt regret for letting myself get distracted is if I spend time watching Netflix and I'm like, dude, you're not growing, you're not learning, you're literally just distracting yourself or numbing out from something. That's when I have feelings of like frustration with myself. Do they happen daily? Um, I think, yeah, there, there are definitely distractions that happen daily. Like I think that's just incumbent in like I live with my brother, my social, like my friend group and everything. Um, and I try to be a leader amongst the people in my orbit. And so trying to play that role, you often have different nodes of communication that open up that may be expected. And part of being a leader is available even if you don't necessarily want to be available at that moment and so i find myself oftentimes like in conversations i didn't expect or trying to help solve problems i didn't know existed five minutes ago so you mentioned earlier that you sort of live with your brother and then you sort of are distracted from time to time when those things happen what are the words that sort of prompt you to actually go for that distraction uh I'm tired is a good one. Like that's a good example. Like shit, I just I just don't feel like doing this right now. Um, that's something that I'll say. Uh, or you've gotten a lot done. Like you've been really productive. So take take a breather. Um, like I may not even necessarily be tired. I'm just like you deserve to reward yourself. You know, sort of a conversation. Um, and then I would say some of the other things are like it's derivative of avoidance. So I'm like, I just really don't want to do this thing that I have to do right now. And so I'm like looking for things to distract myself with. So do you elicit the distraction or do, does distraction come to you? <laughs> I have my own distraction gravitational pull. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I think it, it, it flows both ways. You know, I, and I think it depends on what the context is like if I'm if I am legitimately really tired I guess that is still intrinsic and so I'm eliciting that um if it's avoidance based yeah it's definitely me going like to text somebody to go hang out do this like I'm usually reaching out to try and create that distraction myself how does the boundary situation work with you and your brother um that's a good question so my brother's six years younger than me. Uh, he just moved in a couple months ago. And so uh, at first he was living with me like rent free. And the expectation was, hey, dude, you're going to clean the house. You're going to mow the lawn. You're going to be like the chore guy while while you're living here for free. And that dynamic didn't work very well because he wasn't doing it to the standard or the frequency that I expected. Um, and so we had a couple like tiffs in the first six weeks that he was staying with me. Then he decided he wanted to stay here long-term because with COVID his school got basically, he's a performance art, performing arts major. So he's like dropping out of school at least temporarily 
trying to build his music and acting career. And so now he's paying me rent. And so we've set up boundaries. It's like, hey, we're both responsible for the chores. You know, I need my workspace. This is my space here. This is your space here. And as we collaborate on projects and make music together, he helps me with creative stuff for my business. We just try to proactively communicate on like, hey, here's how much I'm going to invest into this. Here's the time, energy, expenditure. And, you know, here's the expected uh, outcome for both of us. So we just try to have those conversations proactively. And does he do you usually fill him in with your schedule? Um, he, no, not like, not on a daily, but he'll come in and say, hey, what's your calendar look like? If he wants to talk or something, I'll show it to him. He's like, oh shit, that's a lot of stuff. I'm like, yes it is, <laughs> yes it is. I see, I see. Is he sort of supportive of your day-to-day tasks? Oh yeah, 100%, yeah. No, he's, uh, he's great. Um, he's doing cool stuff. I like to think I'm doing cool stuff. And so it's nice being in the space together and having the creative energy abounding. But yeah, we, we collaborate on projects. We talk about projects. Like it's just nice having that shared headspace. So you mentioned a few things earlier. You mentioned sort of time, sort of tiredness. You know, you mentioned sort of feeling like you can be rewarded for sort of having this distraction. When it comes to the reward aspect of it, sort of what's bubbling up in me is that how much reward do you think you need to feel good? One thing that I've really tried to, um, not necessarily break, but like the idea of internal versus external locus of control. You know, the idea that like I can feel fulfilled by myself and feel that level of self-love and self-expression and self-care that like I don't need external points of validation. I'm not driven by money. I'm not driven by materiality. It's just I do because I love doing what it is that I'm doing. So I've really tried to pour a lot into that um, vehicle for motivation. And so for me to feel um, like validated or, or like I, I deserve to be rewarded, it it is a sliding scale for me that, you know, it's, I think there's a fine line between appropriate recovery and self-care and just pleasure, like in seeking pleasure or comfort. And I believe strongly in the idea that you should seek out opportunities to become uncomfortable, like avoid complacency, avoid comfort, because that's where the fun and the growth and the spice of life lives. And so for me, so long as I'm creating those opportunities to get uncomfortable and like show myself that kind of love adventure and, um, you know, family time, then I usually feel pretty like self-satisfied, self-fulfilled. Do you sort of, you mentioned you have a pretty succinct schedule. Do you build in any time for a reward? I don't necessarily build in time for reward. What I do is I call it rigid flexibility, like the way that I manage my calendar. And so we all have non-negotiables, right? Like it's, I have to get work done. I have to feed my cat. I have to feed myself. I have to exercise. Like whatever your things are, you block those in the day. So it's like, okay, no matter what, these things have to happen. 
then I believe in leaving the rest of your calendar with free space. Like that's where the flexibility part comes in. And that's when you can do the stuff like rewarding yourself, whatever that means for a person. And so I do try to carve in that space. But what I have a bad habit of is I will fill that space up with more work and more stuff that I'm doing. Um, And so I don't actually necessarily do a great job of chilling. Like my friends tell me I kind of suck at just chilling. And if you filled your day with more stuff that's more fulfilling, what would it look like for you? On a normal day-to-day basis, it would be more time outdoors. So like getting my kayaks out. Um, So I live in Wilmington, North Carolina, which is on the beach. We're we're on the coast and I'm not a big beach boy. Like I'm much more a mountain guy and uh, like lakes and rivers and mountains hiking. There's not too much of that out here. And so I'm actually looking to move in the next year to go somewhere that's a little bit more mountainous. But that does not mean that I cannot go enjoy the beach, get my kayaks out, go mountain bike or go not mountain biking, just go for a bike ride. Um, so it would just be more of me spending time in nature. And the spending time in nature, do you feel like you sort of earlier you mentioned sort of this aspect of feeling tired does that give you anything yeah yeah no being in being in nature is really re-energizing for me absolutely so Brenda, i'm just curious so how do you think that you can sort of i don't know create more actionable steps towards this goal of sort of freeing more time and not being distracted i think to your point having a few days a week even where I carve an hour to go do stuff outside and go spend time in nature, like rather than making it, what I'll typically do, and this is not best practices by any stretch, is I'll go, 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 feel pretty fried, and then I'll go take like a long weekend, four days and go out to the mountains or something, which is cool. Like I'm all about taking a vacation and taking some headspace, but there's more stuff I could be doing on the daily to to weave it in. And so I think an action step would be, you know, every every weekend and maybe one or two evenings a week, making time to go just like turn off and go hang out in uh, in the natural spaces that make me feel whole. Are there sort of any resources or anyone in your immediate circle that can help you with with that as well? Do you mean from like? Um, an information standpoint or accountability standpoint. Yeah. Both either. Yeah. I think, um, my, my people close to me could hold me accountable to going like the ones that tell me I suck at chilling could tell me you're sucking at chilling, like go. Um, and then I think for information, there are apps like all trails, which tells you, you know, hiking, hiking spots in an area. Um, so yeah, I could definitely use tools like that to incentivize me or, or encourage me to go try new stuff. I think that's a good idea. When your friends tell you that you suck at chilling, what are your feelings about that? Uh, agree, agreement. Like it's um, like I said, I try to be present, like be where my feet are, and I. I think I'm a good listener. Like I'm good at being present in a conversation with somebody, but um, I'm often like 
like if we're just sitting in my kitchen, I'll be like cleaning up dishes and moving stuff around. Like I'm not very good at just sitting still unless I'm specifically spending the time to meditate or like going to bed. And when your friends sort of tell you, you suck at sort of doing those things, what do they want you to do? Um, it, it varies. Like, uh, I think a lot of it is derivative of um, just like clearing time for just being together and not multitasking or um, I think I think it's it's less about how I'm behaving when we're actually together it's more about making time more time for me to do those things and so uh, I think again going back to the the root of this is spending more time in that space like I think I'll be more productive in the time that I am working if I create more time for recovery and um, people when you're spending time in recovery and people are you distracted Um, I think late uh, to me, one of the core pieces of recovery is, is sleep. Not to me, that's to everybody. <laughs> like sleep is really important. Um, and I used to sleep like a baby every night. And then in the last like six weeks, I, it has been more like I'm having dreams about work, dreams about people stuff, dreams. So it's it's been this weird sort of flip that I'm trying to unpack and um, get to the bottom of. I think a big part of it is the reco- like the recovery in terms of personal time and spending time with friends and people uh, and nature. Uh, sorry, I lost the track of the question. I was trying to tie that back. No, so I was just asking, because you mentioned when you're doing work, you have a regimented schedule that you sometimes get distracted. So I was just wondering, when you're doing cool shit, are you distracted by work? No. No. If it, if it meets my cool shit standard, then I am in. <laughs> so what, the cool shit, like, is there a feeling or a rush that happens when you're doing the cool shit? Yeah, like I, I think, um, sir, are you familiar with the concept of flow? The yeah. idea of flow? Okay, so to me, cool shit drops me into flow. And like I can I can definitely get into flow when I'm working or when I'm writing, but it's, it's harder to get there. So I have some hacks, like I'll go for a barefoot run for three or four miles and that'll like, that'll trigger it. Or go on these dirt biking trips or mountain biking or anything. It, it, I'm not an adrenaline junkie. Like I'm not trying to push all those neurochemicals into my brain to fire myself up. It's really more of a mechanism to turn my brain off and let some of my instinctual like behaviors take over. And that is a very freeing place for me. Um, meditation helps with that. It's just not as like fun to like, I, I, I look at meditation almost as like a workout. Like you have to do this to stay healthy and balanced, but those other things really are in line with my like true character, not just the maintenance piece of it. Yeah, I'm curious though about this sort of, you mentioned the flow, is the flow always physical? No, because um, I, I can get in flow when I'm writing. Uh, I can get in flow from a conversation with somebody. Like if you have that really good, like you're just vibing with someone and it feels like five minutes has gone by, it's been two hours. So there are other things that can trigger it for me. I just think 
the most intense and most frequent ways that I get there are typically oriented with a, a physical pursuit. When you're, now you mentioned sort of when you're writing, but when you're actually doing your work, are you in flow? It depends on the day. So um, it, a lot of that is based on the distractions. If I put my phone on airplane mode and I've had a good balanced breakfast and I have the right amount of coffee in my system and everything's gone and I can just zone in, absolutely. It's the days where I'm, I'm really fatigued or I miss a part of my morning routine or I let those other conversations bump in. I keep my phone on my, on my desk that's when I'm not getting into flow and that's when I'm more prone to letting myself be distracted by stuff. If I could create a new reality for you and literally next week, all that week, all you're gonna do is be in flow, d describe it to me. Ooh. Is this alternate reality like do I have a super successful business and I'm not- Don't even worry about the business. Just okay. you and flow, whatever okay. that is for you. Me and flow would be, I am somewhere like, uh, I either think of like Belize or even like Denver or something, somewhere in the mountains. I have a dirt bike. I have my running gear. I have um, my people, like my tribe with me. And we're just going and tearing it up and doing cool shit. Like, uh, I know I keep going back to the cool shit thing, but like, Staying in a dope spot with some food, doesn't have to be anything fancy, and then we go and just spend a ton of time hiking, dirt biking. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's like my perfect week. How long in the day is this happening? Is it all day? I would like, like incorporating the recovery stuff, so like you can't, when you're in flow, it's like there's an investment that's being made chemically in your body. So the the dopamine, the serotonin, the um, anatomide, the uh, uh, acetylcholine, like the other chemicals that are running, they deplete, right? Like when you're in that headspace. So your executive function shutting down, it's called um, uh, prefrontal, oh geez, I'm losing it. Anyway. Cortex? It will, yeah, but there's a there's a term of when it starts shutting down. Um, so your executive functions go away, and it's just your limbic brain starts behaving uh, instead of your neocortex. So all of that energy expenditure, all those chemicals, they run out, and then your body goes into like sort of a dopamine hangover, and so you feel like you've been drinking alcohol or you're fatigued because you've been expending it, and so the idea is. There are four stages to the flow cycle and you have to go into a deep recovery and they have to build back up to it. So you can't go the full week and flow the whole time. It has to ebb and flow or you'll be exhausted by the end of it. So what I'm hearing from you is that the flow would be something that you wouldn't want to prolong for too long because there's a recovery aspect to it. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. It comes in sprints. Exactly. So if your week was filled with flow continuously, like, would you feel good? I would feel good while it's happening, but it's like, you know, I, I've never, I've never, I've never done cocaine, but I imagine like people who do cocaine are like, yeah, it's fucking awesome until you don't have any more cocaine and then, and then it sucks. So I think, um, that week would be epic and I'd have a blast, but then the next week I would be paying, you know, the piper for, uh, for what that was.
So I think it needs to be a little bit balanced with some yoga and some downtime and um, just walks instead of mountain bi- or dirt bikes. Awesome, yeah. So Brandon, we come into about sort of 10 minutes sort of left in this sort of conversation, but I'm just sort of curious in terms of, you mentioned previously about sort of maybe your friends or your family sort of maybe holding you accountable or you be accountable to them. How does that work with this sort of aspect of being less distracted, but yet being in flow? I, um, the, one of the reasons I started my own company is I don't do a great job of people telling me what to do. And so even if I tell someone, I want you to hold me accountable to this, I, I hold myself to such a high standard that if I, if I slip and I get distracted and somebody tells me you're distracting yourself, I say, I know I have already processed that and I'm making the decision to do it. And they're like, well, what the fuck am I supposed to do now? Like you told me to hold you accountable. You're sort of unhold accountable because you're like not letting me hold you accountable. So, um, how that manifests with getting into flow is like my best habits, my worst habits. I feel very, very strongly that I am in full control of them. Like if I, if I succumb to a vice or I step up into a new positive habit for myself, like I made that decision with, you know, with grace of spirituality and universality and stuff. Like I'm not saying the world revolves around me, but, um, in that, in that context, it's like, when I hold the boundaries to not get distracted, when I am owning my work, when I create the environment to get into flow, it's when it works. But when I don't create that for myself and I let other things in, then that's when it starts deteriorating. So how, how do you think you can make it less deteriorating for yourself on a day-to-day basis? Um, Sticking to the calendar that I've proctored, like, uh, you know, I, the, the evening before the day, I have the best of intentions for what the next day should look like. And I'm always in a headspace, like tomorrow's going to be a new day. It's going to be great. You're going to do the things you need to do. I just need to trust that voice the next day. And, um, and then also making time for some of those more pleasurable endeavors where they're not distractions. They are those non-negotiables that I've already baked into my calendar, I think would go a long way. And if your brother knocked on your door and said to you, come on, let's let's do this, well, how would you handle that? Kick rocks, Ethan. <laughs> <laughs> and how would his response be? All right. <laughs> Maybe later then. <laughs> <laughs> so if the ops, so what if it was like a larger obstacle, like, uh, I don't know, like that trip, that, that trip you mentioned, and someone just said, listen, you know, this COVID thing is just, too much let's let's just go let's get out of here how would you handle that yeah that's a tough one that's uh i think um if so there there are things that like to me are it's varying levels of priority so like if i have an opportunity to go on like let's say that same trip for example and somebody said hey let's go next friday if I were if I were able to do it safely and I could afford it and um, I can set up ways that like the business won't fall apart or my life won't fall, somebody watch my dog, you know, all that stuff, then I would probably go for that because it's such a unique, exhilarating, like makes you feel so alive that if I turn that down, 
like that's not a distraction to me. You know, that's like the life lifeblood for me. That would I be watched nice. this really. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, I watched. Um, have you seen Free Solo on? No. Uh, so there's a guy named Alex Honnold, who is the world's best free climber of mountains, which means no ropes, no belay, nothing. He just climbs up these freaking stone faces. And there's this amazing documentary called Free Solo. It was a National Geographic film. I think it's on like Netflix or Hulu, so you should definitely check it out. His story is amazing. And one of the things that his mom is talking about when they're interviewing her is, I, I assume the question was something to the effect of, how do you feel knowing that your son basically gets off doing the most in- dangerous thing that he could possibly be doing in the entire world? And she says... It was obviously really hard for me to grapple with that when he was younger, but who am I to tell somebody that they can't do the thing that makes them feel so alive and so connected? Like, I understand what the risk is, but the reward for him is so much greater. And I think about that a lot. It's like, what are the things that make you feel so alive? Weigh the risks, but then, you know, seek those things out. Wow, that's a... It's a, I like that example. Definitely we'll check that out. But how do you think just based upon our sort of earlier conversation about sort of distraction and sort of this, you know, doing cool shit and, and being sort of in the flow state, how does it all sit with you at this moment? Um, it feels good. Yeah, I'm excited to, uh, like, I think this weekend I'm going to pro- like go on all trails and schedule some walks and hikes and maybe even trail runs in there. Um so just setting some of those parameters and doing the things that I know I have to be doing and just um, locking in on them, I think will go a long way. Mm-hmm. What do you think is sort of different in sort of talking about this that you've sort of garnered? I think, um, you know, hearing from an outside perspective, the like, hey, it's okay to schedule this stuff. Like it's it's not necessarily hedonistic. It is important. Like just hearing that from somebody else, you know, the whole permission thing I think is helpful. Um, so yeah, I'm grateful for that. Well, you know, that, that begs the question, how important is sort of doing those distractions for you? It depends on the thing, you know? It's like, uh, and, and what I'm being distracted from Um, and the things that I have identified as being non-negotiables, if you negotiate, then they're not non-negotiable. So it's Uh like making sure that my categories for what is and is not negotiable, um, I think is really impactful. Um, yeah. Do you ever voice those to anyone? Probably not so explicitly as to say like here, like the list in my head is explicit, but I probably haven't been like, here are the things to anybody. Like, no, I don't think I've ever done that. Excellent. All right. Well, Brandon, I think we're sort of coming to time to turn of this coaching session, but um, yeah, do you feel sort of complete? Yeah, that was great, Savio. Thank you for the time to just talk. Sure, absolutely. So now I want you to sort of uh, talk to my audience, tell them more about you and Anything else you would like to say? Sure, thank you. Yeah, um, so my name is Brandon Walker. I'm the founder and CEO of Beanie and Blazer. Uh, Beanie and Blazer is a lifestyle engineering company where we train aspiring high performers on mindset and habits. And so basically what all of that means is 
there are a lot of people, and Savio, you are one of them, who have taken a look at life and said, hey, I don't think that I am living according to my full value system. Maybe the job that I have or this definition of the American dream doesn't quite resonate with us. And so there are a lot of people who have that feeling inside of them. I have this potential. I don't align with my expectations that have been placed on me, but they don't know where to go. They don't have mentorship. There's no community. They don't know what the thing is, what the trigger is going to be. And so we provide education and community coaching, mentorship, to help people from potential to pursuit of their purpose. So that's our whole, our jam. Um, so you can find me, I'm on Twitter, bwalk underscore 12, and our website's just beanieandblazer.com. So what was the major impetus for you to sort of transition into this? Um, so I spent uh, five years in tech. I was a senior vice president of sales for a company called Untapped. It was one of the fastest growing companies in the country. We won a lot of awards from like the Inc. 500 list. And my job was to run a sales team of about 45 people uh, selling software. And my favorite part of that job was seeing recent college graduates turn into these just beasts, high performing salespeople through these methodologies. And what was really unique about what we did was we didn't just take these people and say, hey, here's your script, here's the phone, go sell. We would do one-on-one coaching, talking about their sleep, talking about their relationships, talking about the relationship between work and home life. And we cultivated just this really deep tribal team aspect. And we, we sold the company back in March. Um, and so with that transition, I wanted to bring that feeling of success and potential to a broader audience outside of the scope of sales. And so that was the impetus for me saying, hey, I think there's an opportunity here and um, I really wanna go start my own business around it. That's, that's really awesome. What do you think the most profound thing you discovered in starting the business? Hopefully there are a lot more lessons to be learned because that's what this is all about for me is learning. Um, I think one of the most valuable lessons so far has been um, in, in my position at Untapped, although I was an executive and a leader within the company, the buck didn't stop with me, right? So it's like the CEO is ultimately the one making the calls and I, although I had a ton of responsibility, a ton of autonomy, it wasn't that person. And so just how much your perspective shifts when every final decision comes down to you, I mean, outside of delegating to your team, but like that has been a big lesson that you just can't really understand until you're sitting in the driver's seat. I thought I could, um, and I like it a lot, but that was a big switch that flipped for me. And sort of like, what's one challenge that you sort of have overcome? Oh, there's a lot. I'm trying to pick a good one. Uh, One big challenge that I'd say I have overcome is finding a team and like and a, a really good team and getting comfortable delegating stuff. One I hear a lot about startup world is I have to do everything. I can't delegate. Nobody be able to do as well as I can. And my MO from day one was hire people better, smarter, 
faster than me at these different facets. And that decision has proven to be a very good one. We've had hiccups and road bumps with figuring out the dynamics and stuff, but having a group of people supporting the vision um, and all that goes into that has been a wonderful challenge to figure out. We all can't escape the current reality, but how have you handled the COVID-19 pandemic? I think, you know, Savio, before we hopped on this recording, you talked to me about how in reflection of your values and, and your objectives, it has triggered a path of motion for you. Like I would say you're living in pursuit right now of your purpose, like derivative of your experience with the cancer and your certifications that you're pursuing. And I went through a very similar experience. It, it was the natural next step for me was to accept a promotion at Untap, stay with the company and continue to see it grow under this new leadership for the next five years. It made sense. I had a very comfortable six figure job. I knew what I was doing. I really enjoyed the people I was working with. But had I anchored to that, I would there were relationships I was in that would have persisted that I no longer am a part of. I have started this business. I'm looking to move to a new area. And so it has just triggered a massive amount of self-reflection. And I've noticed there are like sort of two subsets of people. There are people who are sort of, sort of like still victimizing COVID. I mean, COVID sucks. Like there's no getting around that, but not really being aggressive, looking for jobs or self-reflecting just, not really do anything with the six months we've been down. Then there've been a lot of people like you and me who have grabbed the bull by the horns and said like, okay, I'm gonna take control of my life. I'm gonna own my outcomes. And that has been the genesis for me for growing this. Wow, I really love how that was said. What is a kernel of truth during this whole experience of COVID that you found to be not only profound, but useful? You're stronger than you think you are. And, and I think a lot of the, a lot of the people in, in subset A, the, the ones that are having this victim mentality, and I don't mean to be critical or judgmental of that, but there's a lot of, well, I, this wouldn't work anyway, or the world is against me sort of a mentality and helping people break down those barriers and understand that we have so many wells of strength to tap into. Like whether you talk about the seven energy uh, circle circles, right? Um, yeah, so whether you tap into that or it really is just a sort of an Ayn Rand, like I am me, me as I, wherever you derive that strength, um, you have more in the tank than you think you do. And so, uh, and the only way out is motion. Mm-hmm. Only way out is motion. And when the motion sort of happens, what can they expect? If there's a listener out there who at this point is so confused and your sort of focus is on mindset, what's the, what would you say to them? I would say the most important part is the first step. And so it, once you identify what it is that you really want, you know, and, and the difference between dreams and goals is that goals are quantifiable um, and achievable. And so if you can quantify what it is that you want and you can take the first step towards that and start achieving little micro wins, just small little nuggets that are like breadcrumbs building up on your pursuit, that first just couple of steps 
breathes so much life into you um, to, to tap into that strength that that's always my encouragement is just take the first step. The worst that's going to happen is the person's going to say no. You'll fall flat on your face one time, but you can get right back up. It's just believing and having the grit to, you know, persist and try. Mm. What do you think some of your breadcrumbs was in starting your business? For me, I wanted to be an entrepreneur for a long time. And so I went to a school, I dropped out of college and then went to a program called Draper University out in San Francisco to learn about startups. And so this has been in the back of my head for a long time. You know, Steve Jobs talks about you can't see the dots being connected until you look backwards. It's like, if you think of those dots as breadcrumbs, they've been starting to get laid out for a while. But specifically with COVID, there were, um, I published an essay called uh, Why I Left My Six-Figure Job to Bootstrap a Startup. <laughs> and <clears throat> I talk about burnout and values and I could just sort of feel my desires growing apart from the companies, um, number one. And then two, I was starting to educate myself more on some of these like psycho and social science um, foundations for performance and just pulling it all together on top of going on that epic dirt biking trip last year that really changed my perspective on things. Those were some of the kernels that got me um, in motion. That's great. So sort of any last thoughts for my audience in terms of how they can sort of be where you are? No, I just, I think, um, you know, we, we are literally building a community to try and support people in pursuit of this type of stuff that you and I have talked about. And so without being too self promoting like if there really is a deeper dive, like please feel free to visit our community. But as far as, you know, for the listeners, listeners individually, I think, you know, Brene Brown says it better than I ever could. Strong back, soft front, wild heart. Have empathy, set strong boundaries, and be adventurous. And if you can sort of live by that mantra, I think that is universally applicable to find fulfillment. Um, and I can't take credit for that, Brene, you beautiful, beautiful person. <laughs> that was beautifully said. Well, thank you, Brandon. I really appreciate your time. Savio, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so cool. much. All right. Hi there. I really hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast episode of The Human Resolve. If you feel that others may enjoy this episode as well, please share socially at The Human Resolve. They can also visit my website, thehumanresolve.com, where I offer one-on-one coaching sessions, daily prompts to move in the right direction, sync directly to your smartphone, and a subscription to my weekly newsletter where I probe into the secrets from living smarter to feeding your three brains. If you could also help me out and give me a review and rating on this platform, because I do care what you have to say, I would really appreciate it. Now, get out there, my friends, and get busy living.